0: I remember sitting in meetings with partners and people who were much more tenured and much more experienced. And like, I could just feel myself like contracting
1: and shrinking. I felt like, oh, the confidence is gonna come once I add those top degrees, once I add more degrees, once I have these top branded companies in my curriculum. No amount of being perfect or having
0: it together can replace the growth that we experience when we go in and we do something really scary and we're willing to do it messy. Welcome to the Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jess. I'm the host and creator of the Art of Speaking Up podcast. I'm also a coach for professional women through my coaching work and my group program. And through this podcast, I support professional women who work in a corporate or nine-to-five type job. I support those women in building confidence, developing a really strong, effective executive communication style, and achieving big success in their careers. I am all about helping more women advance and elevate into leadership positions. And my mission is to offer you the tools, the mindset work, all of the things that I wish that I had sooner in my career. I want to offer those things to you through this podcast so that you can speed up your path to success and also so you can be successful in a way that feels really good to you. I'm not about having to overwork and overgive. I'm all about helping women Build a career that feels like you're getting out of it as much as you are investing and putting in, or maybe even you feel like you're getting more. That's how I was starting to feel in my corporate career as I was getting into higher executive positions. I was like, wow, (laughs) this is kind of a sweet deal. And so I want to help other women create that for themselves. Today's episode is a format that I've never aired on the podcast before, and I'm very excited about it because... This conversation really lit me up as I was listening back to it, and I hope it has the same impact on you. So this is an interview of me that was done by a fellow podcast host. Her name is Ivna Curry. Ivna Curry is the host of the Speak Your Mind Unapologetically podcast, and you're probably already realizing why she and I might be very compatible But she is the CEO and founder of AssertiveWay.com. She is a public speaker and a corporate workshop facilitator, and so much of her work is focused on assertive communication. And she and I share a lot of similar philosophies on assertive communication. We both believe that you can be very direct, very assertive, very effective, but also in a way that's collaborative and persuasive and that feels good to you and to your audience. She and I are really both all about finding your voice, finding that strong leadership voice, but in a way that feels in integrity with who you are and your values. I love this conversation so much because Ivna and I both had nine to five careers prior to doing our podcasts and running our businesses full-time, and we both went on our own journey of building confidence and finding our voice and struggling with the fears and the doubts and the insecurities. So we got to talk about that and talk about our respective journeys and what we've learned and what really helped us find our voice and click into our own leadership style in our careers. We talk a lot about some of the internal mindset obstacles that get in the way of having an effective voice and being an effective, impactful leader. So we talk about things like overthinking and experiencing pressure to sound really smart to the people around you or feeling like you need to have all the answers. And the essence of this conversation is really us talking about how the shift away from those things and towards goals like being more courageous, stepping into leadership, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to do it messy. We talk about how those scarier, more vulnerable things are actually the real path to impact and success. It's not about doing it perfect. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about embracing the scariness, embracing the unknown, and being willing to step up as a bold, confident, courageous leader. Who isn't afraid to dive in get messy roll your sleeves up and figure it out when you have that courage and that willingness to do it a little messy and be imperfect the irony is well I, actually the cool thing is your impact is so much bigger than the impact you have when you're trying to do it perfectly and be perfect and have all of the answers that is why i love this conversation because I hope it frees you to see that you already have the skills and the gifts and the talents that you need to be a confident, capable leader. And with that, I'm going to cut into this conversation. And I definitely recommend checking out even' podcast, Speak Your Mind Unapologetically. It is filled with episodes all about finding your voice, finding that sort of communication style and really succeeding in your corporate career. I think you're going to love it. This conversation will give you a taste for the vibe on her show. And with that, let's meet Ivana. Let's get into this interview and I hope you enjoy.
1: Hey, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Jessica, I'm so excited that you're here to talk about this whole idea around speaking up when we have imposter syndrome around our expertise. Yes, I'm so excited to dig into it. So one of the things that you mentioned is around having the courage to speak before you're an expert. Can you share a little bit more about this? And even in terms of your own experience, I'd love to know if this ever happened to you and if it ever came up and how did you find your own courage and how do you do so with the people that you've interviewed, but also clients? Yes, 100%. Well, it really did
0: start with my experience where... My first nine-to-five job was at McKinsey, and I came in as a consultant, and I had come from law school, so I did not have the traditional background that most consultants have, and I felt very aware of that, and I felt very different. I think that definitely contributed to my imposter syndrome, and I remember sitting in meetings with partners and people who were much more tenured and much more experienced, and like I could just feel myself like contracting and shrinking and it felt so hard to be part of the conversation and there were so many reasons why but one of the big reasons that I experience and that I see so many women in my community experience is this feeling that they know so much more than me and they have all this knowledge So number one, what could I possibly contribute? They already know everything. They're so smart. They're so experienced. Like, what would I say? And number two, I'm going to embarrass myself because I'm not able to follow 100% of the conversation. And so- naturally then it makes a lot of sense that we might get quiet and we might feel like we're just there to listen. And so much of my work is about helping people build the confidence to participate. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about this, but I think we overestimate how important subject matter expertise is when it comes to making an impact. And something that I will often share with people is a a CEO of a company has actually very little deep subject matter expertise in all of the things that are happening in the company because there's so much happening and they're at this very high altitude and yet they have to constantly make decisions. And they're not making decisions because- They're going around to their thousands of employees and learning what each person does. So how is it? How are they able to run the company? And it's because they have that muscle of, okay, I don't know everything, but I'm going to figure out exactly what I need to know. And I'm here to help. I'm here to make decisions. I'm here to make an impact. They're going to gather the information they need to do that and become part of the conversation. And that's really the muscle that I try to help people build is like, okay, if the CEO replaced you in this meeting... And they didn't know much about all this. Do you think they would come up with something to say? And my clients will always say, yeah, of course. And I'll say, but how? But they don't know more than you. And then they kind of realize that there's like this identity shift that they can start to build within themselves to help them let go of, I need to have all the answers and know everything to be
1: valuable in this conversation. Yeah. And you're you're absolutely right. The Especially in the beginning of the career, we worry so much about our expertise. But as you move up, it becomes less important and there are so many other different skill sets that come in now i actually did not properly introduce you you have amazing degrees amazing start to your career you've done so many things and yet you still worried about oh i'm not an expert for the audience to understand here she has a, a-, a BA economics With honors from the University of Pennsylvania, top university. And she has a doctor of law, JD, from Columbia Law School. And McKinsey is not easy to get into. It's a pretty hard consulting company to get into. So generally, a lot of people feel pretty confident once they have those things working for them. But still, you had that concern. You had that, worry: am I delivering enough expertise? You had some imposter. And so this can happen to anyone. And it really is a very natural feeling that we might have when we don't yet, at the beginning of your career, you didn't have yet that perspective of, okay, what does it mean to be a CEO? Are they operating in the same way? Is expertise necessary for them? So we might not know until we reach a certain point in our career. So I love that you said that Ah. because just having that knowledge really helps us not even need the courage because we know that our value is not just in our expertise. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's funny that you pointed that out. Cause I never
0: thought about it that way. Like that perspective that you're bringing of my degrees and all that. And I experienced so much imposter syndrome to the point where that was the reason I started my podcast because it was such a big obstacle for me. And as I started to get through it and build confidence and find my voice, I was like, are other women experiencing this? Because this was so hard for me. And that's such a good point. And I think it's helpful to emphasize that the degrees and the certifications and the skills and all of these things, they often don't solve the core issue, which is more of an internal issue, right? I think about it as like, it's trying to fill a leaky bucket. So if the bucket has a hole, we can keep adding water, we can keep getting degrees, we can keep learning things, but it's going to be really hard for the bucket to stay full. So we have to get better at plugging the hole and finding ways to fill the Bucket, rather than just like adding more and more water.
1: That's exactly true because that's exactly what I did as well. I felt like, oh, the confidence is going to come once I add those top degrees, once I add more degrees, once I have these top branded companies in my curriculum. And as we've experienced, if I've experienced as you have experienced, that's not the case. It actually doesn't answer, doesn't solve the problem. So you mentioned that understanding a little bit of that perspective that let's say the CEO of the company is not going to be an expert, helps build that courage to find your voice. Is there any other way that we can do that, that we can find that confidence in ourselves, in our own voice, but also build that courage to to speak our minds and share a little bit more about our own perspectives, even before we're an expert? Yeah, I think one way that can help us muster the courage is
0: to think about ourselves as being there to help and sort of being there to serve those around us and serve the project and the mission. And I know that that's an easy mindset for my clients to lock into because they like to help and they like to serve. And so I think that's kind of a low friction way for people to start to imagine what that could look like. And if you're in a room with leaders and they have a ton of experience and expertise, and there's lots of information flying back and forth, it's still quite helpful for them to have an outside perspective, following along, synthesizing, repeating back, right? Like, so there's so many different ways that you can be helpful without having the expertise. That's one piece of it, right? Which is like, how can I just be an extra brain or like an extra piece of paper that's helping us like capture everything and move the conversation forward? But also I think it's really important to challenge ourselves to collect bits of information and to trust that we might be able to internalize and we might be able to form an opinion. And a huge part of that is asking questions to help fill in some of the holes, which I know can feel really, really scary but when people see you asking questions, what they're seeing is that you're engaged and that you're there to help and you're making sure you have what you need to help. And so I think one, thinking of yourself as a help, helper, and number two, challenging yourself to see if you can try to digest and metabolize some of the information. And then the last piece I would say is to know that like the fear and the uncertainty is a very normal feeling. I think sometimes we feel that, and then in our mind, we go, oh no something's wrong with me. Why do I feel this way? And then that can really keep us from exiting our comfort zone. But when we realize, oh, this is normal, this is happening because I'm stepping up into a spotlight. I'm playing big, right? Like I'm pushing my thinking and my leadership. Of course, I feel uncomfortable. Then I think it gives us a little more space to not allow that discomfort
1: to fully dictate our decision. Well done. So those are very well said. Those four things that we can do to boost our courage to speak our minds, even if if we're not an expert. And I think a lot of the personalities like me and you and your clients, we tend to never feel like we're an expert. I've never felt that I was an expert enough. And my parents are very academic. They're they're both PhDs in their area. So they're really into going really, really, really deep, like exploring all the information in the world, doing PhD and postdoc on this one thing. And it took me a while to realize that it, it, if I did that, I would never be able to actually engage in business because you go so deep into one thing that you don't have the breadth to look into other areas. So that's not productive either. So that service mindset, which is there's something right now that you can share that's going to add value. You don't need to keep accumulating more and more and more information. And being in the room with leaders, as soon as you said it and they're bouncing back ideas and you feel like you have nothing to add or you don't have enough conviction in what you have to say, I immediately saw myself back in the days where I experienced that. And I realized that I would get into these loops where these leaders would share things that seemed to be so clear for them and like a law of truth. And then they would cycle back in another meeting with a completely different idea that was not related to the original one, I realized that all these ideas would circle and come and go and come back and be dissolved. And there were just ideas. There was no absolute truth. It was everybody bringing their perspective to the table. So I love that you shared that. It brought me oh memories. My
0: yes. I had a very similar experience in my corporate career where I was in a meeting and someone put a slide up and it didn't make sense to me. And I had a question and I didn't ask my question because I was like, everyone else gets it. No, This is a silly question. And then a few minutes later, I can't remember if it was either the CEO or the CFO, but it was one of them asked the question and my brain exploded like or imploded. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but I just remember in that moment realizing how many assumptions I was making about myself and my intellectual capability. And I think that really it made me realize that, like, one, we assume that everyone is so much smarter than us. We're so hard on ourselves. We assume we're not good enough. But it also taught me that part of like, part of the quality of a good leader is actually bravery and humility, right? Like, a good leader is actually just willing to ask the question. And so it made me see that, you know, again, I was assuming that I was lost when other people weren't lost, but also just helped me understand that it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about just doing the hard, scary things that need to be done to move things forward. And it reminded me of what you shared, where you have these moments where your own assumptions and your own mindset gets revealed to you. And it it can really
1: change how you see things. Absolutely. Absolutely. We could go all day talking about these examples because I see we had a lot of things in common. One of the things that I heard from a C-suite member advice to the up and coming leadership of the company was never try to be the smartest person in the room. Never try to look like the smartest person in the room because people don't like the smartest person in the room. It sounds counterintuitive, but the reality is that it's not actually something that that creates that likability. Factor. No one wants to show off. Now, if you're genuinely trying to contribute and like you said, help and share and serve and ask questions and understand, then that's very likable. But at the same time, you're adding value. Just trying to show off with the smartest question or the smartest comment, even if it is the smartest comment, the smartest question, it's not going to add value because people don't appreciate that. Yes. And there's so much of this that happens in corporate, right? Like you see this
0: happening where people are just trying to puff themselves up and sound really smart. It also leads to a lot of overthinking in people's heads. Like, how exactly should I say this? So it sounds really good. And what I found is when people get stuck in that, They completely lose presence and connection with what's happening in the meeting. And then they end up not having shared their thing, feeling a little bit lost, having to circle back after. And so there is a cost. There are many costs to trying to sound smart. And I totally agree with you on that.
1: So there you go. Speak your mind. It doesn't have to be smart. And really, any question is smarter than no question. It really is because at least you're engaging, like you said, you're involved, you're present. And you're showing that you're interested versus a lot of the feedback that I got early in my career because I was overthinking, just like you mentioned, was that I was aloof. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't aloof. I was thinking about what to say with perfection. But I was thinking so much that I never said anything and now sounded aloof like I had no interest in the conversation or in anybody in the room.
0: Oh, my gosh. It makes me laugh because I totally get it. And it's sort of like, hey, if you were in my head, you would realize it is anything but aloof in there. Like, it is the total opposite.
1: But that's not how it comes across. Right. Two different worlds. Yes.
0: And I think when people really start to see that, it helps them feel incentivized to do the scary thing. Like when we really start to have these things sink in.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this conversation already. It was so fun. All right. So we're going to move on to the next topic here because you've talked about the difference between leadership and expertise. You mentioned a little bit about it, but let's go deeper into that difference. A hundred percent.
0: I think that leadership has very little to do with expertise. And I also think that in an organization, you kind of get to a point where you've tapped out your expertise, you know what you're going to know, and then the rest of your growth is going to come from developing your leadership skills and leading. And so it's two completely different skill sets. And I think of leadership as all of the actions that you take when inside you are feeling so driven and so committed to getting to a solution. So when you really care and like you feel that fire inside, then you start problem solving at a higher level. You ask the questions, you push things forward, you make sure like that no stone is left unturned in a way. And none of those behaviors really have anything to do with having lots of knowledge. There are more behaviors that are problem solving and moving things forward even when knowledge is missing, right? So an act of leadership might be, hey, we have an expertise or knowledge gap. How are we going to fill it, right? Like To me, that's far more powerful than I always have all the answers every time, right? It's it's better to be the one who's going to figure out what's needed to get to the finish line. And if that happens to be expertise, great. And I find that expertise can feel more comfortable, like a cozy... Little blanket that we can lean on and that leadership can feel scarier because we're venturing into the unknown and we are taking up a little bit more space. And so what I find is people often like to lean on expertise and they want their effectiveness to come from that and they want to gain more and more of it and they don't realize That the rest of their growth is going to come from developing their leadership skills, and that they actually have to stop developing their expertise. They have enough expertise. And I've never, ever seen someone ever who succeeded in reaching the level of expertise they desired and their brain stopped telling them they needed to know more. Like, I've only ever seen it be a bottomless pit. I've never seen someone be like, Well, I did all the things and learned all the things and know all the things, and now I can relax. If, if anyone has an example of that I want to see it because I have not come across it yet.
1: I experienced that. And I have to check in with myself every single time. Let's say when I'm preparing to do a podcast and convey my knowledge and expertise, if I'm not really intentional and say, hey, Ibna, you're going to only spend this amount of time researching or preparing your ideas or refining this. Because if I don't give myself a limit, I will spend the whole year, probably 10 years, researching and still not feeling like I know enough what's funny is that I try to be so comprehensive around my maybe it's my background I studied engineering maybe I tend to be so comprehensive that people actually don't even understand or relate to what I'm saying anymore I had to pare it down and the leadership is is realizing that like you said we don't actually need to find all the answers if we have a problem, we can hire someone who actually has the answer or who can help sort out those problems. So I think that's fantastic having that distinction and focusing on leadership, which is that intention, like you said, to problem solve and to, and to push forward yeah. a, a goal or whatever that is, is way more effective and important and positively seen than an expert. We're not an expert economy at, anymore. I don't think so. I think we're in I think leadership is really the, the key word here.
0: A hundred percent. And I think a lot of times, like when you are acting as a leader, it can feel quite messy because you have to experiment with getting a project off the ground or moving something forward without knowing exactly how it's going to run. You kind of have to be willing to start and let some of the frictions come to the surface and redo your timeline and realize you included the wrong stakeholders. Right. And I think that's a really good example of wanting to get everything right and have everything ready before you go. And I think when you're willing to mess it up a little bit for the sake of getting it moving and you know how to fix it as you go, again, you step into more effective leadership and your execution becomes more powerful. But it can feel really messy and really uncomfortable, especially for those of us who are perfectionists like type A. We don't like that. And so there is a little bit of unlearning and learning to be in the discomfort of showing up messy for the sake of beginning to move something forward and trusting that as you're moving it forward, you're going to course correct and get it to where it needs to be.
1: Mm, That's interesting. So you're saying that whole saying around fail fast and pivot, very common in entrepreneurship world where it's acceptable to fail, to make experiments, to try things out so that you can accelerate learning and move quicker to your goal. But then that ego issue that has to be managed, because you know that there will be imperfections, like you said, in the process to achieve that outcome quicker and better. But when we're pursuing expertise, it doesn't give a lot of wiggle room to to fail, to experiment. It's black or white. There's no real flexibility there. So yeah, I can see how Even if it's a little bit messy, getting to the outcome, but that leadership concept is so much lighter and more productive. Yeah, 100%.
0: And I think that we forget just how messy of an action high-level executives and leaders have to take because on the surface, they seem like they know exactly what they're doing, calm, cool, and collected. But I've, I did a lot of work that was facing the C-suite and going up to the board. And I very much saw that there's a lot of bets that get made, right? Big unknowns, big decisions. And they don't always know how it's going to turn out. And they have to be willing to pick a direction and commit to it. And I think earlier in our careers, we don't get as much exposure to that. We get things that are a bit more straightforward. We show up, we get it done. There's not that many unknowns. And so... It can feel really scary then when people are in a phase where they're faced with more of those unknowns and there's more of a leadership responsibility. And sometimes they feel overwhelmed or like they're doing it wrong but they're not doing it wrong it's just the nature of their role is changing and the percentage of fails and mistakes is going to get higher that's part of the role i mean executives and ceos mess things up all the time i think we just don't register like if we see a headline about a company failing or imploding there's a human that like made a decision that led to that but i think we forget that and we think that like these Fancy experienced leaders are so smart and so perfect, and we're the ones who feel like a mess. Yeah, they're a mess as well. (laughs) Oh, yes, totally. And it's part of it. And actually, I think the willingness to make a choice that doesn't result in the outcome you want is a prerequisite. If you don't have an appetite to hold some risk and some uncertainty, it's hard to expand into broader responsibility because you'll have to make decisions that involve unknowns. And, you know, you'll gather as much information as you possibly can, but in the end of the day, you will have to make choices. And I think when people realize that that's normal and that's part of it, then they stop internalizing it as like, I'm just not smart enough or I can't handle this role.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so essentially for these leadership roles, especially senior leadership, taking risks is a way of life and taking risks, like you said, when there's lack of clarity around what is the right decision? And no matter how many experts you hire, it's not going to be enough. The The risk is going to have to be taken. Someone is going to have to stand firmly around that decision. And everybody else in the organization, maybe on the more junior level is going to, like you said, think that's the direction that's very thoughtfully thought through and considered when it's not. So it's really important for us to know that early on in our career so that we don't Look at these C-suite members like gods who absolutely know what they're doing and will never make a mistake and have all the knowledge in the world. And back
0: when I worked at McKinsey, there were certain instances where we were hired by leadership to give them that security layer Of Well, McKinsey also backs this decision, right? And the reason that was needed because of how unknown it was, it doesn't mean it's going to work out every single time. And I think exactly what you're saying, like, we assume that's the truth, and it's the one way. And I think that is also a reflection of good leaders, because they don't, they don't want to transfer that uncertainty and anxiety to their team. So in a way, they have to stand in the certainty So that their teams can feel certain and stable, but internally they're holding a lot of uncertainty, and it's just hard for us to see that.
1: Yeah, and yeah, until you you reach that point. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, I feel like if, like, if you know the movie,
0: like Liar, Liar, right? Like, I'm imagining if you know, CEOs and leaders had to be like very truthful in company meetings and tell the truth to investors, not that they're lying, but that part of their job is to help people feel secure and committed so that they can bring their best work to the project and not create panic and frenzy in an organization when what's needed is focus.
1: So you've mentioned that you've been in these circles with C-suite level, very senior executives in a couple of instances. I have been in a few as well. And- Like you said, what I noticed is that the vibe was very different when they were amongst themselves, Um, but the conversation would flow in such a different way. They were way more human in those small meetings than in front of the team when they, they put on their fancy, fancy clothes and sounded super professional in every single word. Very different, very different in reality but we don't see it. And then you talked about building self-confidence, especially if you don't feel like you're an expert. So what are some of the ideas and tips there?
0: Yeah. I always like to think about self-confidence as being the willingness to do courageous things, take bold action, even when you're feeling imperfect and messy. So A lot of people think about it the opposite. They think I'm going to get myself to a place where I feel so smart and so amazing, and then I'm going to be confident, and then I'm going to show up really big in my career, and for me... I think that that's a very fragile form of confidence. And for me, it's much more like, okay, I'm good at some things. I'm bad at some things. I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. I'm messy. I'm human, but I'm willing to show up and give this my best and take risks and step into the spotlight, even when it feels scary. And to me, that is what builds confidence, right? It's not being perfect or feeling amazing all the time, but it's being willing to navigate the scary action. Before you feel ready. And the more you do that, the more you start to feel so strong inside because you realize that you can do really hard things. And I find that much more satisfying than being perfect and always getting it right. It, I mean, that feels good for a little bit, but it doesn't build any lasting, deep seated confidence. For me, it's more like, oh, I was not good at that. And I was just willing to like show up and give it my all and make myself vulnerable. And so that's how I think about it. And then it also removes the pressure because then it's just about being committed and like being the person who's willing to make the thing happen, whatever the thing is, as
1: opposed to being the most skilled or the best or as opposed to like being flawless. Oh, yeah. And you said a few words that I have a very strong opinion about. I never liked the do your best conversation i'm just gonna do my best i'm gonna do my best. if i ever told myself i'm just gonna do my best i would be working 24 7 for years in order to get to that perfection level i don't even know what doing the best means because we're never really operating at our best
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so I, i don't even like the doing our best but what you said was commitment and i love commitment and courage you said those two things commitment and courage It's so powerful and so important. And I completely agree with you. I never had a surge of confidence by thinking about it. Never happened. Yeah. Maybe calls a friend and they give me a pep talk. And in the moment, I might feel more confident. But the real confidence really comes from, like you said, having the courage to go there and do it, to speak up, to externalize our ideas or thoughts and see what happens. Isn't it all messy anyways, up at the top? Why not be messy at the bottom a little bit and learn in the process? Now, I would love to know from you, when have you built your confidence through courage or experimentation or doing those things? How has that worked for you personally? So many
0: examples. I think a really, really big one. Well, there's two, I guess, coming into McKinsey with a law background. That was definitely, I mean, I didn't have what was needed. And I remember for that interview process. I was competing against people in business school who spend hours and hours preparing for these case interviews to get a job at McKinsey. And I had literally just learned about that like two weeks before, right? So I was like, major underdog status. Yeah. And I kind of had this realization as I was prepping. I was like, if I try to read all the books and memorize the frameworks and do it the way that the people who have had 18 months to do it are doing it, this is not going to work. So I have to find another way to do this. And I thought to myself, okay, why don't I just lean on my natural problem solving, find what makes sense, extract that and trust that it'll be enough. And that didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to be like, okay, I'm probably missing 60% of what I need. But it's what set me up to not get into a crazy perfectionist loop, right, where I'm trying to catch up on all these things. And I feel so behind, Like it was the only way I was going to be able to move forward. And so I think that was an example where I was willing to be really messy, not have it all together. And I remember I had to keep reminding myself, like, Jess, you're smart. You majored in econ. You know, I had to really walk myself through that. And I would say another example, equally powerful, is when I started my podcast. I was so shy. I mean, if you look in my early catalog, I sound like a different human, it's wild, but I was terrified and I was scared and I didn't sound confident and I didn't sound like an expert and I published it anyway. And it was very uncomfortable, but in both of those situations, I'm so thankful that I was willing to like, feel very vulnerable, very unprepared, very messy because I grew so much in the process and there's nothing that can replace that. Like no amount of being perfect or having it together can replace the growth that we experience when we go in and we do something really scary
1: and we're willing to do it messy. Jessica, I <laughs> I have no idea how I haven't found you earlier. I feel like we've had such similar experiences in different ways. My McKinsey interview did not go as well because I did exactly what you discovered that you shouldn't be doing. I started reading all those books and I panicked during the interviews, especially when they give us a little bit of time to think over the framework and everything. I started Flipping the book in my mind and all the frameworks and trying to find the one that f- best fit, and knowing that my background is problem solving, I studied a really difficult engineering school. Yet I let that go. I did not embrace my natural problem solving like you did, mm-hmm. and I panicked. I panicked completely. Did not make it. <laughs> and so, very impressive that that worked for you, especially coming from law. I imagine it's very different, but still, you're a very smart lady, and and yeah the podcast situation as well it's, it's actually horrifying to look at my past podcast interviews videos it's horrifying but i haven't deleted them even though they're ter- they're horrendous what what episode are you on right now i'm now in the 250s which is wild wow 250 that's so i'm sure you've changed tons from that very first episode to the 250 Yes,
0: so much. And yeah, sometimes I get that feeling too of like, I wish that wasn't out there. But then I think about how brave it was and how cool it is to be willing to do that. And I think that's so much cooler than being willing to have everyone watch you be amazing at something. Even though I think we all can enjoy that and appreciate that there's something really special about being willing to do it messy and also in this case in the public eye where people can see it that adds a whole other layer it, it builds so much resilience
1: it absolutely does i don't know how long it took you to embrace the public eye but it took me a while same
0: yeah probably at least two years but maybe even more but definitely like a decent chunk of time. Like we're not talking a week or or like weeks or months time long.
1: <laughs> this is interesting for the audience to hear because both of us, from you took probably around two years as well. Fear of judgment of the people from my network, from business school. Yeah, I was one of those MBAs that you were talking about from, from my undergrad school, from the companies that I worked at. I was thinking, wow, these people have these big titles and now I'm starting from scratch. They're going to think, what is this girl doing? She's crazy. That's not a profession. (laughs) So it was scary. It was incredibly scary. Yet, like you said, the self-confidence didn't come from thinking about it. I actually remember having to push myself a couple of times to say, you know what, I'm just going to post this one time. This one little thing on LinkedIn and I'm going to spend one week not looking at LinkedIn. I'm going to ignore it exists. (laughs) Let's just do this one post and see what happened. But I'm gonna ignore about. I'm gonna ignore it. But that was it. That one little push and another little push, and the confidence start building, just like it did with you. Totally, it's so wild to think about how it comes as a side effect. Like
0: even if you're feeling awful when you do those things, they're building something within you. And I think LinkedIn is particularly scary because. So many of our colleagues are on there and they know a different side of us, a different identity. So it can feel very revealing. I remember when I first launched my podcast, I put a post up for an episode And my boss liked it. Like, I saw a like from my boss. And I just remember being so wildly freaked out. And I survived. And I I lived to tell another tale. And what's so funny is he didn't even realize it was my podcast because he brought it up later. And mentioned something and I realized like he didn't even register what it was. So I think that's also a really good example of people are not watching us as
1: closely as we think they are. That is very true. Were you talking about your boss in that episode?
0: No, no, no. I was very careful while I was still in corporate to keep that very, very separate and sort of not talk about any of my coworkers or anything like that. But my episodes were very vulnerable in that I was talking about a lot of my own insecurities and struggles. And so for a to imagine my boss listening, it just oh my god, it was so overwhelming to think about.
1: oh, that's right, because it was your boss at the time. your current boss, not someone. Uh, yeah,
0: it was my, it was my boss at that
1: time. oh, I get it. Oh my gosh, that's. Yeah, that's a little bit scary. That's very scary. 50 year old man.
0: Just like so many factors making it feel very
1: uncomfortable. (laughs) A very good point. People are not that interested in our lives as much as we think they are. Mm -mm. They're not paying attention the way that we imagine
0: that they are, for the most part. There's always exceptions, but I think we're so in tune with our own insecurities that we imagine everyone else must be equally in tune with the things about us that we worry about. And It's so important when we have moments where we realize that's not the truth to really slow down and help our brain see, hey, brain, people aren't looking as closely as you tell me they are.
1: This has been brilliant. Let's talk about your podcast because you shared that you talked a lot about your vulnerabilities, your thoughts, all of those fears. And I'm a passive person, a passive, passive aggressive, and people pleaser by nature. That's my tendencies And so there are certain thought patterns associated with that kind of way of being. Obviously, we can change all of that, but there is a significant thought pattern. Like you said, sometimes we don't feel like we deserve to share something or that we have enough to offer to actually make it worth the other person's time. I think you share a lot about those things in your podcast. And so tell us more about your podcast.
0: Yes. My podcast is like my baby. I love it so much. It's called The Art of Speaking Up. And I started it back in 2018 when I was still in corporate. And it was this side project. And it was my way of talking about the hard things that I didn't see being talked about anywhere. So it partly came because when I was struggling, I would seek out professional development resources. And I felt like I couldn't find anything that was a honest and transparent and be very welcoming and inspirational. And so I began to get frustrated that everything was like surface level or like super condescending or just didn't resonate with me. And I finally realized I should stop complaining about it not existing and just create it. And so my podcast was my way of talking about the hard, sometimes taboo things that don't get talked about when we're struggling in our careers or in the workplace. And also I really wanted to inspire women to believe in themselves and reach for more because we need more women in leadership positions. And if we want to make that happen, part of what we have to do is help women believe in themselves because there's so many women out there who are very talented and very capable. They just need to spark their belief in themselves and to grow their confidence and mindset so that they see how talented they are and so that they go after what they want and ascend into leadership. And so that's what I wanted to do with the show. I've been doing it since 2018. It started as an interview show. It evolved into a solo show. It'll probably continue to evolve, but I absolutely love it. And I'll probably be doing it for a very long time.
1: Oh, so exciting. So there you go. Listeners, you know where to find Jessica and her thoughts, her deep thoughts and inspirational thoughts about the art of speaking up. Where else can the listeners find you, Jessica?
0: They can find me on Instagram at the art of speaking up. So same as the podcast. And I'm starting to have a little bit of a presence on LinkedIn. And it's just Jessica Guzik. And you can probably find me on there.
1: Wonderful. Well, this has been an inspiring conversation. I feel like We've had such similar experiences and paths. It's so relatable. It's so fun to talk to someone like you.
0: I had so much fun. Your questions were so good and I agree. I feel like we're discovering in real time that we have a lot in common.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you once more for being vulnerable and sharing your tips and ideas and thoughts and experiences around expertise, speaking up and leadership.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. This was the first one I've shared of me being interviewed. I would love to hear what you think. So please feel free to shoot me a message and let me know. You can DM me on Instagram at the Art of theartofspeakina. And most importantly, check out Ivna's work. You will probably love her podcast and find so many useful topics and episodes in there. It is called Speak Your Mind Unapologetically. I'm going to link it in the show notes. And I'm also going to link Ivna's LinkedIn as well as her website. She does public speaking. She does custom corporate workshops. So if you're feeling the pull and if you're feeling like her perspective is resonating, check out her work. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for making it to the end. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.